The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Father, we worship you. We magnify and glorify who you are. We extol you, Lord, because you are glorious. You are the one who comes among his people. Thank you, Father, for promising that you would be our God and that we will be your people. Thank you for your visitation. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your help in our lives. Thank you that you are the victorious God. Thank you that you are the one who is above every power, every name, every authority. You are the Lord. Apart from you, there is no other. You are the highest authority. And we come to you this morning. Father, let the glory of your presence fill this place. Lord, you know every heart. You know every need. Lord, come and meet those needs today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm just going to just say a few things off of what we've been singing. There we are singing and worshipping, and we're worshipping God, and we're bringing his presence here, and you feel that, you sense that. We're singing about God as one who gives us a victory. I just want to add to this a little bit, okay? God does give victories, but God needs you to surrender your will. You've got problems in your life? you don't want to let go of, then things can't... God has a great difficulty in being able to deal with them. He needs you to say, yes, Lord. If we're holding on to things, it's difficult. Let me give you an example. Unforgiveness. You have an issue with somebody. You have an argument. They've done you some injustice. They stole your car and they didn't give it back. Something like that. Okay? You're annoyed with them. And you're justified because, because they stole your car. Why should you steal my car? I want my car back. So you get frustrated, but you realize that when you hear the word of God, God says, forgive. Yeah, but, no, 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 forgive. That's what he lays down. That's his word. That's his instruction. That's where he comes from. This is what you do. But we say, but you don't understand. That was my car. Why should I forgive them? That's letting them off the hook. That seems so, and we go on with all of our excuses. And as long as we continue in the place of holding on, we can't get hold of what God wants to do. But if we say, Lord, have your way, that's opening ourselves up. That's saying, Lord, I'll do it your way. I'll let you do what you want to do in my life. When we do that, he can come in and do whatever he wants. But that's an example of unforgiveness. See, what about insecurities? Who wants to let go of their insecurities? Oh, I want to let go of my insecurities. Do you? Do you? Because you've got an option today to let go of them. Because here is a God who wants to take them. But you see, we get so used to our insecurities. You know, we have been talking and looking at this season of living it out for God. How do we live out for God? How do we live for him so that his life is flowing through us? This is what we're talking about. If you want to live out for God, you've got to let go of the things of yourself. The things that you control. Example. Egypt and Israel. We looked at it a few weeks back. Israel, as a nation, are in Egypt. What's life like? Rubbish. Why? Because they're slaves. There they are. Their job is to make bricks. 
Their job is to make loads of bricks. Then their job is to go and collect the straw to make the bricks and make loads of bricks. And they've got to meet quotas. They've got to meet targets. Just as we have in our workplaces, oh, you need to do this. This is the goal this year. We need this much finance. They've got to meet targets. But the thing is, they're being encouraged with a whip. Hopefully, you're encouraged with your pay packet. Not always encouraged, but you know what I mean. We're they were being encouraged with a whip. It's like, if you don't do it, they're being beaten. Their life is ridiculously horrible. So much so that they begin to think like, I don't know whether I like this. So they say, God, we need you. We need you. Because we don't like what we're in. And God hears their cry. And he sends them a deliverer. And Moses comes. And okay, there's a few problems when Moses first arrives. But Moses comes and Moses is dealing with Pharaoh. And God sends his plagues one after the other after the other. Yes, Pharaoh's got a hardened heart. Yes, he resists. But in the end, God opens the nation. And Israel is out of captivity. They've gone free. They're now walking in the wilderness. And as they're walking in the wilderness, they, wow, all of that issue of Egypt, all of that whipping, all of that burden, all of that frustration, it's behind us. We're going. Why is there a sea in front of us? Where can we go to? What did you bring? Is that, that's the armies of, it, of Egypt coming after us. What are we going to do? We're gone for. Who is this God? Does he care for us? Does he really believe in us? What's he all about? And eventually they say, well, Moses opens the Red Sea and they go through. And it's like, wow, this God whom we serve he is able to do far abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. What a mighty God. And of course, the Egyptian army gets wiped out as the waters come back. This is glorious. So they go through a few more days and we've got no water and we're in the desert. What should we do? Oh, for goodness sake, it was better. Why have you brought us out here to kill us in the desert? Don't you care about us? Don't you have any feelings for us? Haven't you remembered that we are human? Haven't you remembered that we need water? We can't think of this water. It's no good. What are we going to do? It would have been better for us to have been back in Egypt. And you give you, We're reading this stuff and we're thinking, oh, this is ridiculous. When are they ever going to get this? We've got no food is another one. And God, of course, provides. God provides. God provides. God provides. But every time they come up against an issue, the first thing that comes back to their minds is, oh, you know what? I remember what it was like. But you say, what do you mean you remember what it was like? Oh, I remember when we had the garlic. I remember when we had the melons. I remember when we had the fish. Yeah, but do you remember the whip? Do you remember the slavery? And you see the picture of what is being spoken of there with Israel. Of course it's about a nation. But it's not just about a nation. It's about a people who are learning to come out of captivity into the freedom that God can give them. A God who says what he is going to do and a God who keeps to what he is going to do. A God who is faithful to his promises. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will bring you into the land that I promised your forefathers. I will do it. But you see, just like us, when God says, I'll give you freedom. You want freedom? I'll give you deliverance. I, I am the one who can provide it. There has to be a sense of trusting him. Of letting go. Egypt has to go. It has to go. But you see, we're, we're holding on 
Because actually what we do is we come saying, okay, God, I'm for you. I know I'm for you. I, yeah, I'll do whatever you want. But you see, there's the tie still to Egypt. Because we fear change. And you know, something about like, I remember what it was like. So even though I know it wasn't that good, I at least know what everything was in that environment. So somehow I find a security going back there. Do you want to live in slavery? Is that where you want to stay? He's called us to have lives that live out his glory. And if we're going to live out his glory, we've got to let go of the past. Now, if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking like, yeah, that's true. Because I haven't really got any hang-ups. No, I haven't got any particular issues. I feel that's true. And you'll be encouraging everybody else to say, all you've got to do is let go. But if you're somebody who's thinking like, well, I'm so used to this pattern of behavior. I'm so used to this anger. I'm so used to this unforgiveness. I'm so used to these insecurities. They're part of me. Ah, but you see, they have become part of you. But they're not what God wants for you. Because Jesus Christ came to set you free. That is what he came for. He came to set captives free. He didn't come to make you a nation like Israel that comes out but keeps wanting to go back. That's not how he does it. He wants freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That's what the Word of God says. So how do we take hold of that freedom? By gazing upon him and by remembering who he is and by allowing that belief, that confidence to so rise in us that we're more confident of who he is then we are worried and concerned about what he's going to do or how he is going to deliver us from our issues. We have greater confidence in him than we do having confidence in our problems. And when I say confidence in our problems, I, I don't know whether you understand me. It's this sense of, I know where I am at. I'm so used to living with this that I don't want to let it go. We see on TV sometimes terrible situations in households where there's there's violence and there's abuse where a husband beats his wife. And you'd say, well, of course, if that was me, that's ridiculous. I'd get out. But we know from many stories you hear how difficult it is for people to get out of those. Because somehow they blame themselves. Somehow they're looking at themselves. Somehow they think it's my fault. Somehow I think it's done. They don't, can't see all the injustice that's being raised up against them. They just take blame upon themselves. And as an example... That may not be our circumstance, but as an example, that's the sort of thing we do when we're holding on to issues that God wants to set us free from. Let me ask you this morning. Are you here this morning? Are you ready to let go? Let go of the things you find precious. If you were to take out your wallet or your purse, now actually today, this is a good day to give this example because I've got no cash in here at all. And I'm not going to tell you my PIN numbers, but... You know, this is the sort of thing you don't let go of. You don't let go of your phone. You don't just give it away. Why? Because it's yours. There's a possession. There's an attachment you have. These are my things. So I'm going to keep them and look after them. It's a bit like this. God is saying, like, would you give them to me? Will you give them to me? You think, well, hang on a second. Can I trust you with my PIN number? Can I? Anybody who says yes probably thinks, like, if I get his PIN number... 
But you see, there's another thing. I know how much is in my bank account, and you don't. <laughs> um, that's another issue. These are precious to me. These are precious to me. But God is saying, it's like that sense you feel about them. You don't just want to give them away because they have a value to you. God is saying to you, would you please, would you please put these in my hands so that I can do what I want to do? This situation of knowing and understanding God is what I want to talk about. Knowing that he is the Lord of all. There's a scripture I want to take us to, and it's Psalm 100, verse 3. Psalm 100, so it's easy to remember if ever you want to look back on it. Psalm 100, and I, it will come up on the screen. So I've got it in various versions. This first one is the King James, I think. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Now, I'm going to say this in three different versions. Just to show you, there's different emphasis that you get by looking, A, at looking at different versions, but in the way that it's actually written. The King James has often said it's a very good uh, translation from the original Hebrew. The trouble is, it's in words that we don't always use. He hath made us is not a phrase that I find I use that uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. But the truth is here, know ye, know you, you need to know this, that the Lord, that is Yahweh, his name, the Lord... He is God. Now we say, well, I'm, I'm in church. I know this. That's why I've come to church. Well, that's great, but I'm not talking about the fact of just coming to church. I'm talking about what this says. This says, I want you to know me. And the knowing isn't just the assent to, oh, well, yeah, I've heard about that. Oh, I think I've heard about that sometime. I've got that in my mind. Knowing is like, I have seen him. I've seen him. And when you gaze upon somebody, when you see it, it's like a famous picture. You might have seen it on the TV. Oh, I've seen, you know, Vincent van Gogh's The Sunflowers or whatever. I've seen that on TV. I'm familiar with that. You go to the National uh, Gallery and you see one of those, because uh, uh, there's a number of them, but one of those paintings, you're standing in front of it. Now you are looking at the painting. I've seen it. I'm studying it. I'm looking at it. There's a difference between that knowledge I know that painting. God is saying, I want you to know me. Not just assent to me, not just to say, oh, I think there's a God. You see, the people who know their God, it says in Daniel, will do great exploits. The people who know their God. Why? Because you see, the knowledge of God, gazing upon him, seeing him, understanding who he is, that raises something in you. It raises a confidence. This is what he is like. This is what he does. This is how he behaves. This is how he deals with people. This is how he deals with circumstances. He is a deliverer. He is a saviour. He is a redeemer. He is faithful. He is loving. He is kind. He does know what's going on. That's the sort of thing you read about in Scripture. You're reading about God. And as we know Him, and as we gaze upon Him, it changes the way that we live our lives. In fact, it's true to say that when we know Him, then that will have a, a, it will show itself in the way that we live. But you know what? Equally, the, least, or the less we know about him or the confusion that we have about him, that affects the way we live our lives too. Knowing God changes the way we are. Knowing God changes who we are, the way we think, the way we act. It completely changes us. And that is what we want to do. So, 
Just go back to the scripture. King James, know ye that the Lord is God. It is he that has made us and we are not, and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Uh, in the NIV, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. In the New Living Translation, acknowledge that the Lord is God. Now, I think that's a good translation, acknowledge. But do you see how that language, it lacks something. Acknowledge. I can acknowledge. No, 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 no. You're not acknowledging. That's not the same as what the Hebrew means. What it means is you know him because you have seen him. Because you're gazing upon him. Because you are looking at him. Because the knowledge of him is affecting your heart. You understand that the God who has created the heavens and the earth, he is for you. He can help you because he is a mighty God. When we see him, that's more than acknowledging him. It's knowing him. And what we want to do is we want to get to know him. Adam Clark, in his commentary, Adam Clark was an early Methodist, and he wrote a commentary on the Bible, and he said this about this particular scripture. Know ye that the Lord is God. He says, acknowledge in every possible way, both in public and private, that Jehovah, that is the name of God, God, the uncreated, self-existent, and eternal being, is the living God, the God who is in covenant with man to instruct, redeem, love, and make him finally happy. That's more than just like, oh, I acknowledged him. That's knowing him. And we need to know him. We need to know him. He goes on to say, and I like it in the King James where it says that it's not, it is he that hath made us, not we ourselves. Because there's such a tendency for us to think like, oh, we're capable. But when you start to gaze upon him and you realize he made me, do you know what? I can do nothing. And the more that we realize how little we can do, the more confidence we start to put in him who is able to do all things. It builds our trust. It builds our confidence. So know that the Lord is God. Know that the Lord is God. Get it into your heart. Anchor your thoughts on this. Focus your attention upon it. Remember it every morning. When you get up, and some of the mornings we had last week when it's freezing cold, beautiful clear skies. And suddenly I see it because some people post on pictures on social media. Look at this sunrise. Look at this sunset. And you think, amen. Gaze upon it and refresh your soul. I know that the Lord is God. You have to take every opportunity. But you know, like days like today and yesterday, you look up, it's one of those gray days. Misty. You know, is the sky blue? Well, on a day like today, it's not. It's gray. But we all know if we had the opportunity to take a flight and go up above the clouds... Hey, yeah, the sun's out and it's blue up here. It never changes from being sunny and blue during the day above the clouds. But if you're below it, no, I don't think it's blue. It's gray. I mean, look at it. I can prove to you it's gray. Oh, yeah, yeah, but you see, you know the truth. But sometimes clouds come over the truth. And that's the same way with our understanding of God. We know the truth, but sometimes things come in. Confusion comes. Circumstances come. Suddenly we're like, Israel, hey, we've come out, but you know what? We've got no water. So like, you know, suddenly, oh, 
the sky's not blue anymore, everything's a problem. And suddenly we get confused and we go back to our old ways of thinking. We need to take every morning, we need to contemplate it during the day, we need to give thanks for it every evening, where you want to say, God, you are good, and we want to become utterly established and totally confident that the Lord, He is God. We want to convince ourselves. We want to talk that into ourselves. We want to see this. Not just we've got to convince ourselves because that is the fact. It's truth and we want to live according to that truth. One practical step we can take because people often want to know, well, okay, how can I grow in this ability of knowing about God? And it's very, very easy. Just read this. Just read it. Particularly the Old Testament particularly the Old Testament. Because in the stories in the Old Testament, page by page, you find out more and more about the way God behaves, about the way He is. So to input this, you know, I often say, hey, you need to read your Bible. But you see, now I want to give us a practical step. Why do I need to read my Bible? Because without it, you don't understand who He is. And you see, understanding who He is affects the way you live your life. It affects us. So therefore, I read this because I want to be affected in a good way of the knowledge of Him. Him who is able to deliver me from my fears, my phobias, my unbeliefs, my whatevers. He's able to deliver me and I can find that out by keep watching what He is like. Wow, He is good. He is good. And all of His ways, He is good. So I want to encourage you, read the Scriptures Take hold of them. Ask yourself questions as you're reading it. What is God like? What does he do? How does he behave? So that your confidence can grow and your understanding of him can increase. Know that the Lord is God. And if we're going to live out our lives, then we need to know that practically. Okay, let me just finish with a couple of examples, because it's much better to have an example. Well, let's look at some people who lived like I'm talking. What difference does it make to their lives? Let's look at Elisha. He's a man of God, so he goes to church. He loves it in church. This is a little bit extra, okay? He loves it in church, because it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I'm just assuming. He loves it in church. He loves to sing the songs. He enjoys reading the Scriptures. But you see, he is a man who knows God. So here's a day. In fact, it's a situation. Situation is this. He's a prophet. He knows God so well, he hears things from God. And so he tells the king, the king of Israel. In fact, he tells the king of Israel everything that the king of Israel's enemies are about to do. And there's an army, the army of Aram. They're the Syrian army. They're around, they're attacking, they're fighting cities. But it seems like, hang on, every time they go to attack an Israelite city, the Israelites are already there, ready for them. And so the king of Aram, over his army, he gets his colonels together. Guys, what's going on? Which of you is the mole? Which of you is telling the king of Israel what I'm doing? And it says, and one of the scriptures in 2 Kings 6 says this, It's not us, my lord, the king, one of the officers replied. Elisha, the prophet of Israel tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in your bedroom. So in other words, like all your, it's not us. He's got this information from God. He knows God, and he's telling him everything. Well, the king of Aaron says, okay, we're going to deal with this. Where's he living? So they find out. So Elisha is living in the city of Dothan. Simple. So one night, 
the king of Aram, sends his army down there. And they surround the city. Simple. In the morning, we're going to go and get Elisha. That's that sorted. We can now get on with the things we want to get on with. That was what was happening. So this is the scene. It's night. The army has come. They've now surrounded the whole city. They're there with their chariots. They're there with their spears. They are ready. Ready for when Elisha wakes up. If this was you, what would you do? What's the circumstances in your life? I know we're not in the city of Dothan, but you see, we are in some situations. What is it that's holding us? What would we do? Panic. Help. Have you seen what's going on? They've come after us. They're going to get us. What are we going to do? And Elisha's got a servant, and his servant goes out, and his servant opens the curtains, looking for the sunrise. My goodness. And his servant sees all the armed forces, and he comes back. It says, 2 Kings 6.15, When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. What are we going to do? We're done for. Elisha replies like this. Don't be afraid. Hey, it's fine. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Now, if you're the servant, you're thinking like, what is he talking about? The guy's gone mad. All I can see is the chariots. All I can see is this. All I can see is this in front of me. But you see, Elisha says, then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. You see, that's where that song comes from. It may look like I'm surrounded. What does it look like in your life? That you're surrounded by fears, failures, phobias, insecurities, unforgiveness. What is it that's holding your life? Listen, if we have the eyes of God and we can look and see what God is doing, greater is he who is within us than he who is in the world. He is more than able to help us. But our confidence has to be in him. Our trust has to be in him. All of that stuff... We've got to give away. We've got to let him take hold of it. We've got to put it in his hands. There's something that we have to do. We have to turn away from ourselves, our own trust. We're not trusting in us. We're trusting in him who is able to deliver us. Elisha was trusting in him who was able to deliver him and deliver him he did. To finish that story, what happened was that Elisha went to get the king of Israel and he's just like, what am I going to do? And Elisha says, hey, he prays, all of the troops are blinded, and they lead them out from outside Dothan into the city where the king of Israel is, and they give him a meal. And they never started to fight back with Israel again. Finished. Because God knows how to sort out issues. It's trust. There's many other characters we could look at. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego is another example. Here they're being told to bow down to this idol that Nebuchadnezzar has raised up. If you will not bow down to it, you're going to be thrown into the fire. There's no way, they say, that we are going to be bowing down to an idol. We serve the living God. We're not going to do that. So what we're going to do is we're going to trust in the God who we serve, that say that he is able to deliver us. And even to the king, they say, our God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not surrendering. 
But we know the story there that when they got thrown into the fiery furnace, there wasn't just Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, but there was the presence of God himself with them to deliver them and to bring them through. When we have our eyes fixed upon him and our confidence is in him, he is able to do far abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. Let me read you one last example. This is an example from a man called George Muller. George Muller was a German, but actually he got saved and he came eventually to live and to work in the United Kingdom. In fact, he lived and worked in Bristol, preaching at first in a church, but then God put on his heart to actually take care of the orphans that were around. And during his life, he took care of like 10,000 orphans. But when I say took care of it, what he actually did was he took them into a home, he fed them, watered them, clothed them, educated them, and then and when they got an age, he released them to the outside world. So it wasn't just like, oh, I'll give them a meal. He looked after them. And he did it all by trusting in God to provide the finances. He made an agreement with God, I'm never going to ask anybody for any money apart from you. And the testimony, which is worth reading of George Muller, is that he built these homes and, as I say, he looked after thousands of orphans and educated them and kept them. That's his story. But here was a man who was living what I'm talking about this morning. And here's an example. He's on his way across to uh, Newfoundland, and he's going there to preach. And this report is given by Charles Ingalls. Ros, I don't know whether this is one of your ancestors, but he was a great evangelist in those days. So hallelujah, we receive that with joy. Uh, Charles Ingalls, a well-known evangelist, relates the following remarkable incident. When I first came to America 31 years ago, I crossed the Atlantic with the captain of a steamer who was one of the most devoted men I ever knew. And when we were off the banks of Newfoundland, he said to me, Mr. English, the last time I crossed here, five weeks ago, one of the most extraordinary things happened that has completely revolutionized the whole of my Christian life. Up to that time, I was one of your ordinary Christians. And uh, we, had a, we had a man of God on board, George Muller of Bristol. I had been on that bridge for 22 hours and had never left it. I was startled by somebody tapping me on the shoulder it was George Muller. Captain, he said, I have come to tell you that I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon, and this was Wednesday. It is impossible, I said. Very well, if your ship can't take me, God will find some other means of locomotion to take me. I need to tell you, the ship is still because there's thick fog, and you can't see anything. And that had been the circumstance for quite some time. So that's the circumstance. The ship is still miles away uh, from where they want to get to, and there's an impossible situation. It is impossible, he said. Very well, says Muller. If your ship can't take me, God will find some other means of locomotion to take me. I have never broken an engagement in 57 years. The captain said, I would willingly help you, but how can I? I am helpless. Let's go down to the chart room, says Muller, and pray. The captain says, I looked at this man and thought to myself, what lunatic asylum could this man have come from? I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> Mr. Muller, I said, do you know how dense this fog is? No, he replied. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. 
he went down on his knees and he prayed one of the most simple prayers. I thought to myself, that would suit a children's class where the children were not more than eight or nine years of age. The burden of his prayer was something like this. Oh Lord, if it is consistent with your will, please remove this fog in five minutes. You know the engagement you made for me in Quebec for Saturday. I believe it is your will. When he had finished, the captain says, I was going to pray. But Muller put his hand on my shoulder and said to me, don't pray. First he said, you do not believe that God will do it. And second, I believe that he's already done it. And there's no need for you to pray about it. I looked at him and George Muller said to me, Captain, I have known my Lord for 57 years and there has never been a single day that I have failed to gain an audience with the king. Get up, captain, and open the door, and you will find the fog is gone. I got up, I opened the door, the fog was gone, and on Saturday afternoon, George Muller was in Quebec. Now, you hear that story, okay? I don't tell you that story, say, oh, there's these people like Elisha, there's these people like George Muller, they're way above us. No, 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 no. This is the same God whom we serve. And he has the same desire to be in us and to shine through us just like he did with them. Because all God is looking for is people who will surrender their lives, yield their problems, give him their woes, allow him to take control of the things that they cannot control, but to trust him that he is able to deliver them and able to save them. So I look at these stories... Not to try to say, well, they're too out, too out of our reach. But rather to say, these are stories to encourage us to arise. These are stories to encourage us to say, yes, I'll let go. I will allow God to do what he wants to do in my life. Because he is more than able to help me. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning. Or... Join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.